Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 82, The Secret Life of... Today's proverb comes from La Rochefoucauld once again. I'll read it twice. Almost all our faults are more pardonable than the methods we resort to to hide them. Once more. Almost all our faults are more pardonable than the methods we resort to to hide them. This is a proverb about hidden sin. Which is to say it's a proverb about private lives and modernity. These are all subjects I love talking about. Talk about them regularly, constantly. And by this point in the history of the show, I don't remember what I've said and what I haven't. And I suppose longtime listeners have recognized my tendency to repeat myself. So I'm not sure how much of this show will be familiar to you. But also like an old man, I would say the reason why these subjects come up all the time is because I believe they're very important. The anonymity afforded 
by modernity is the tool we always needed in order to build our private lives. On the sort of subsistence farm of the Middle Ages, the sort of farm situated on a minimum of 22 acres of land that was beside another farm situated on 22 acres of land, beside a similar farm, and so on and so forth. No one really had a private life. No individual did. A family might have some secrets, but that's not a private life. A private life is a life that only one knows about. Or, at very least, a private life is a life where you can convince yourself that only you know about it. Although private lives are never quite as private as anyone thinks they are. There's always somebody out there who can see what we're doing. Someone who we're depending on to keep us anonymous. On a 22-acre farm, on a subsistence farm situated among other subsistence farms, there's no prostitution. Prostitution is a problem of the city. Mobs are urban problems, not agrarian problems. And there's all kinds of sin. There's all kinds of vice and corruption that thrives in cities and dies away when there's no cloak to cover it. So prostitution, for example, is the sort of vice that depends on a great deal of anonymity, a great degree of anonymity. That there would be a part of town that everyone knew was unsavory. And you would go there under cover of night in the confidence that no one could see what you were doing. On a farm, though, on a subsistence farm, your life is lived openly. You don't have time or space for a private life. You have a thought life, which is your own. But a thought life and a private life are not exactly the same. Your thoughts, all human thoughts, have ultimately always been private at your own discretion and at your ability to share them. But as soon as cities expand, there arises the possibility of doing things and not getting caught doing them, which is not really a possibility unless you're surrounded by people who don't know you, or at least don't know your name. So in the 14th century, as the great cathedral building projects of Europe are coming to fruition and cities are re-emerging as ways of sorting out human beings, we see anonymity increasing and the sort of vice 
that goes along with anonymity increasing as well. And in this way, there's really nothing that happens with the end of the feudal period and the emergence of the Renaissance that is not simply magnified with the creation of the internet. The internet is just the city 2.0. The city makes all things even more possible, even more likely, that used to only take place in cities, I suppose. So cities make education cheap. The internet makes education even cheaper. The city uh, proliferates um, sexual perversion. The internet, even more so. So the city offers a lot of good things, and there's a lot of bad things that come with it. Same is true of the internet. Well, I bring all of this up because I saw something this week that I have or had never seen before. I attended a sentencing hearing in federal court. It was for uh, white collar crime. And it was fascinating. I've seen trials before. I've seen trials on TV. I sat earlier this year on the jury of a murder one trial. The jury that I was on ended up convicting the fellow of a lesser charge than murder one. But a sentencing hearing is not like a criminal trial. In a criminal trial, the question is whether the accused did the crime that they're accused of. And there are all sorts of rules that govern the admission of evidence in a criminal trial. Rules against hearsay, speculation, relevance, prior crimes that have been committed. All these things typically have to be set aside and we're the jury is really only interested in whether the accused person committed the crime that they're accused of today, not whether they did some bad things before. But a sentencing hearing is entirely different. In a sentencing hearing, no one is trying to determine whether a crime has been committed. In a sentencing hearing, the crime has been committed. And at the sentencing hearing that I attended, the accused even confessed to the crime. So at a sentencing hearing, what the judge is trying to decide is how much jail time you need, whether you need jail time, how much of a fine you need, what sort of pain and suffering are going to be imposed on the guilty. And so a sentencing hearing sees witnesses come forward that do nothing but testify to the good character of the guilty. So the one that I attended, the convict's wife, told the story of how she met her husband, what a good husband he was, what a good father he had been. And then the fellow's youngest daughter came forward and spoke of all the good things he had done in his life. 
And there were many people who had written letters to the judge, and the judge spoke of uh, the dozens of letters he had received from the guilty man's friends testifying to his good character. And the judge said something that is not a terribly profound thing to say, I suppose, all things considered, not a mind-blowing proverb. But the judge said something after describing for the court all of the glowing reports that he had personally received about the convict, all the letters that had been written by the man's associates, peers, friends. The judge said, and this was an old man, the judge must have been 70, if not older. The judge said, there's two sides to everyone. Like I said, not a profound thing to say, but what a thing to hear from a federal judge. What a thing to hear from someone who's heard about a lot of crime and a lot of vice. Everyone has two signs. Not most people have two signs. Not when you have two sides, this is what happens. Everyone has two sides. And I don't think he meant everyone is a criminal and it's just a matter of getting caught. But it's surprising what people are hiding. It's surprising who's hiding and what. And in talking through the case, the judge did not reference this proverb from La Rochefoucauld. But he said something sort of like it. He said, it's amazing the sorts of things that we do in order to cover up relatively trivial crimes or relatively trivial faults. And that's La Rochefoucauld's term. Almost all our faults are more pardonable than the methods we resort to, to hide them. Secret lives are a fascinating subject. I titled this episode The Secret Life of, because we, like modern people, love to hear about secret lives. I think it's because everyone has a few secrets and they want to hear what sort of secrets other people are keeping and compare their own secrets with others' secrets. But we also want to hear how people get caught. We want to hear the story of how other people got sloppy, tripped up, revealed too much, said too much. And when we learn that someone finally got caught, man, we want to know how. What was it? Was he talking in his sleep? A receipt he threw away that someone found and his name was on it? Did someone see him? Did someone see him going into a bank, out of a bank, into a hotel, out of a... What was it? We want to take notes 
so that we don't make the same mistake and get caught through some rookie error. It's amazing how secret lives get out of hand. I've been fascinated by this for years. How is it that secret lives take over? Why do they take over? So imagine, imagine we have a 45-year-old man who's married and has two, three kids. And one day, this married man comes home from the grocery store and he brings in two sacks of groceries, puts them in the kitchen, his wife begins to put them away, and he goes down and he sits in the living room. And I'm, I'm interested in telling this story, I'm interested in putting this together, because I'm interested in how private lives begin and why they begin. Because I think that's what this proverb's all about. Almost all our faults are more pardonable than the methods we resort to to hide them. This is about secret lives. It's about how secret lives come together. So hear me out on this. There's this guy, goes to the grocery store, brings home two sacks of groceries. Wife is putting the groceries away in the kitchen. And a man is in the living room. And his wife hears him rustling with some sort of uh, packaging of some kind. And she pokes her head into the living room and says, what have you got there? And she sees that he's opening this small, um, like this small handheld size package of something with uh, shiny paper. And he says, baseball cards. I bought some baseball cards. And his wife says, why? You don't collect baseball cards. Do you even like baseball? And he says, I collected them when I was a kid. And she says, well, why do you have them now? You're 45. You collected them when you were a kid. That's a kid's hobby, right? And he says, sort of. I mean, there's, there's a lot of adults that collect Baseball cards. Haven't you heard about how much baseball cards are worth? Who do you think is paying these high prices for baseball cards? Not kids. Kids don't have the money to buy valuable baseball cards. So it's, no, it's not. I mean, it's, a, it's an adult hobby. And she says, do you have plans to keep buying them? And he says, why? I mean, this is benign, right? Baseball cards? I mean, is this not one of the most milk toast hobbies there are? I mean, you can't possibly object to this, right? And his wife says, no, it's not bad, of course. It just seems a little childish. Besides, don't you complain whenever you walk into Barnes & Noble that it's just a bunch of toys there now and toys for adults and, and all that. And now you're 45 and you're buying baseball cards. That's a boy's hobby. I always liked it when you complained about adults that buy toys. It always seems so dignified. And he says, man, I think you're making a, 
a big deal out of this. I mean, it's a couple bucks, right? She's like, okay, right, fine. Puts the rest of the groceries away. And so the man takes these baseball cards and he goes up to his room and leaves them on a dresser. But then later in the day, he finds himself kind of flipping through them with his thumb. And he remembers collecting baseball cards as a kid and how much he loved them. And he loved the cool-looking gold foil that they'd put on them and the hunt for cards that were worth something and the photography. And he does like baseball, after all. His wife's wrong. He does. And so he puts these, I don't know, two or three packs of baseball cards into his sock drawer underneath his underwear. And he doesn't forget about them, but he doesn't bring up the subject with his wife again. A week goes by. He goes out to the grocery store again, and it just so happens that the little baseball card shop is on the way home from the grocery store. So he pops into the little card shop again and buys another two or three packs. Puts them in his pocket, goes home, gives his wife the groceries, and then goes out to the garage and opens them. And when he opens them, he stands with his back toward the door so that if anyone were to walk in, he can surreptitiously slip them into his pocket. So he opens these packs of cards and he kind of shuffles through them real quick, puts them in his pocket, then goes back upstairs, puts them in his sock drawer underneath his underwear with the other ones. Now, if you've ever seen a pack of baseball cards, you know that they're small, like it's a small object. It's a very small piece of real estate, a pack of baseball cards. And so for the next several weeks, whenever this guy goes out, runs an errand, it's like a five-minute stop. It's always on the way to wherever he's going. Little baseball card show. Pops in, buys two or three, at most four packs of cards. And he's spending, you know, $10, $12. And this is a grown man. $12 is nothing. Buys the cards and opens them in the car so that he can kind of slowly go over them. Anyway, it takes like half hour tops. But he is spending a little bit more time anytime he leaves the house to go on an errand. And it's maybe the second or third time that he goes out on an errand and makes a stop by the little card shop that his wife says, what took you so long? Did you go somewhere else? And then he does it. Then he does it for the first time. No, nope, just went to the store. Took longer than usual. And his wife doesn't say anything. Okay. Thought you might have stopped somewhere else. She hasn't spoken of baseball cards since that first incident. Meanwhile, this fellow's got enough cards accumulating in his sock drawer that they're not easy to keep hidden anymore. They're still hidden. 
And it really is a simple matter because he's got, you know, maybe 30 packs of cards and they're small and they're all kind of fitted. Now they're fitted underneath some folded T-shirts, some folded T-shirts that he never wears. And this is in a drawer that his wife never has a reason to open because all the stuff that she washes and folds goes into a different drawer. But he's getting to the point where simply covering over the cards with a folded T-shirt is not going to work for much longer. So what does he do? Well, he gets a box. And this man has his own closet. He gets a box that's about the size of a shoebox. Or maybe he just gets a shoebox, gets a spare shoebox, pulls a shoebox out of the garage, empties whatever junk was in the shoebox into the trash, takes the shoebox up to his room, and transfers the cards from the underwear drawer into the box, into the shoebox, and then puts the shoebox in his closet. And his wife never looks in his closet. His wife never has a reason to look in his closet. They're one of those couples. And, you know, every couple is different. Some couples, the wife is always in the, in the husband's closet. Other couples, the wife never looks in the husband's closet. They're one of those couples. So he's got like three or four other shoeboxes in there. And he puts the shoebox underneath the other shoeboxes. No one is ever going to find this. His wife is never going, unless he's dead. Unless he's dead and she's getting rid of his stuff. Maybe not even then. No one is ever going to look in the shoebox. And the shoebox is big. The shoebox is like, I don't know, like some boots came in it. So it's big. And he realizes as soon as he puts the shoebox in there, oh, I could probably fit a hundred packs of cards into this shoebox, into this boot box. I'm going to be good for a while. Because he'd been thinking, do I really want to throw the cards away? Like, he's getting to that point where he's like, I either got to move these cards or throw them away. Maybe I'll just give up on this as a whole. I'm slowly amassing too many of these. They're taking up enough space. I really ought to get rid of them. But finally, he's like, whoa, the shoebox is the quick, easy solution here. I can keep buying cards for months with the room I've got with a shoebox. Well, that's not exactly true. He can't go for months because telling himself that he can go for months makes him overconfident. And so he's buying more. He's buying more packs of cards because he tells himself, I've got all this space to put them in. And he figures out ways of kind of storing the cards in several locations because it's a bit of an undertaking to haul the boot box out and put the cards in. So he needs some privacy for that. He needs to wait until his wife is gone on an errand. And so he's got like this little holding pattern where he puts the new packs of cards into the sock drawer underneath the T-shirt. He waits until his wife is gone. And then he moves the cards from the sock drawer into the boot box. He got this whole little system set up. And he runs the system over and over and over again, and it only takes him, like, he had anticipated, as soon as he, like, gauged or clocked the size of the boot box, the size of the cards, he's thinking, 
this is going to last me like eight, ten months maybe. Well, he's overconfident, so he buys more. And because he buys more, he has more to store, and he runs out of space in that boot box in like three months, way faster than he'd been thinking. So he's got some options. Part of him's wondering, maybe I ought to take these to work. Maybe I shouldn't have them around the house. But his office is small, and his wife shows up at the office, and he realizes he's more likely to get caught with these things at his office than he is keeping them in the boot box in his closet. Now, it sounds weird, but he, he does the math. The science checks out. He's better off keeping them at home. But he runs out of room in that box. And some other things have started happening as well. Like, he wants to buy cards every time he leaves the house. It's this little carrot that keeps him going. And he loves to do errands. And his wife has noticed, oh, you are quite the gopher in the last six months. He's like, well, love to make you happy, baby. Love to do errands for you. You stay at home, do what you want. I'll take care of it. Let me run out. Let me get that loaf of bread for you. Oh, ice cream. That'd be great on a Friday night. Let me just run out. It'll be real quick. And so he's leaving the house more often. And he's gone for a while. He figures out how to do everything quickly, though. But there are several times when he leaves the house and he doesn't have cash. And this happens like it happens the first time. And he's so disappointed. He leaves the house. He's on an errand. And he immediately drives to the card shop. But when he's in the, the parking lot of the card shop, he reaches for his wallet and he, he realizes, oh, I don't have any cash on me. And he doesn't want to put it on a card because a card's going to show up on some sort of statement that his wife could see. And he insists on only making cash purchases so that there's no trace of this whatsoever. Again, it's going to look weird if he goes to an ATM. It's going to take forever. So he just goes to the store, goes to the grocery store. And he's a little irritated that he's not going to get cards in this trip out. But then he realizes, I'll just get cash back on my grocery store purchase. I'll get $10 back, and I'll buy two packs of cards on the way home. And the extra money that I withdraw will just be grouped in with the whole purchase. And my wife won't know that I'm spending money on baseball cards. But as soon as he makes this deal with himself, it's like $20 that he's going to get out. And so he, <laughs> he's not really thinking this through all the way. He ends up spending $28 on ice cream. His wife could figure out that something's a little suspect about that. But gets an extra 20 out, buys four or five or six packs of cards on the way home. He's gone for longer than he really ought to be. His wife doesn't ask him about it because he went out just for her. And he gets some cards out of it. And he resolves never to be without cash again because he absolutely adores these little trips to the baseball card shop. Well, he goes through all the space in that first box and moves on to the second box. Goes down to the garage, throws a bunch of junk away, clears out another 
shoebox had like bolts and busted computer bits in it. Like everybody has in their garage somewhere. Throws that stuff away. Landfills it. Brings the box back in. And now he's got two large boxes that he can fill with cards. And at this point, like, you know, six, seven months into this, he's spent a considerable sum of money. I mean, it's not obvious when stretched out over such a long period of time. But he has spent like seven or eight hundred dollars on cards over the seven month period. Like every time he leaves a house, it's a quick shot by the baseball a quick stop by the baseball card shop. For like four or five or six packs, maybe seven, eight at tops. Nine. There was nine once. And he did buy a whole box. That was 36 packs. But that was a special occasion. And he brings these home and he, and he puts them in this new box. But here's the thing. He's now got two extra boxes, two huge boxes in his closet. And when looking into his closet from like 10 feet away, there's something spatially off about the organization of the closet. Like considerable new space is being occupied by new objects that are going into the closet. And at this point, again, we're saying like six, seven, eight months in, he's had to tell a few lies to his wife to keep this a secret. He doesn't feel all that bad about it, though, because it's a benign hobby. It's a hobby. He can even tell himself, well, there's money to be made off of this. I'm not even really spending money because the things that I buy have value that I can liquidate at the drop of a hat. I can sell all these for so much money and I've gotten a good return on my... And really, none of this is true, but he loves to repeat the story to himself like, this is an investment. It's going to pay off in the long run. Whatever. Besides, he's not doing anything that most men would be praised for doing by their wives. I'm glad you found something fun and productive to do, dear. And he doesn't understand why his wife wouldn't say the same thing. And he hasn't really checked with her. It is possible that she was just in a bad mood during that first conversation. And she really doesn't care. But now he's got these two huge boxes and he realizes I've got to, I've got to get these boxes out of my closet because they look noticeable. Like there's something here. And if, and if my wife ever casts a significant glance into this closet. She's going to be like, what are those boxes doing there? Aren't those from the garage? She's going to notice it. So he gets a little nervous, actually. He has these realizations while he's at work one day. And the whole rest of the day of work is just pointless because he's wondering if he's going to come home and his wife's going to have all of his baseball cards out on the bed. She's going to be like, what's this? So he actually fakes illness, leaves work early just to go home to put himself in a better frame of mind in knowing that his wife hasn't discovered his baseball card. Goes home. She hasn't, of course she doesn't know. She hasn't rummaged around in his closet. But he decides that the next time that she goes out, he's going to move the cards up to the attic. 
And there's all kind of stuff up in the attic. No one ever goes up in the attic. And he's going to put the same sort of like holding pattern, but the holding pattern is actually increasing. There's, there's the big storage of cards that's going to go on up in the attic. Then there's the moderate storage of cards that goes on in the closet. And then there's the uh, like holding pattern uh, of the sock drawer. But he's now got three different locations going, which means that he's a bit more nervous. It's not like he's hiding one thing. He's actually, at this point, he's hiding several pounds worth, like five or six, seven pounds worth of material substance that he's got to hide. And he's also buying far more cards than he could have possibly anticipated back when he bought those first two or three packs. He's purchased an entire box of cards on several occasions. He has withdrawn 50, 60, 70 dollars extra on trips to the grocery store. He is regularly without cash in his pocket, without cash in his wallet, because it all goes to purchase of these cards. And that's the that's the interesting thing about pleasures that you seek out on your own. Pleasures that you seek out on your own get out of control very quickly. And the reason is that pleasures that are sought out with other people or pleasures that are sought out that require other people are less likely to get out of hand because there are witnesses and because it's just impractical to assemble five or six people on a regular basis to do anything. So, I mean, this is the reason why there are video game addicts, but not monopoly addicts. Like a video game, that's a pleasure that you can seek out all on your own. Like monopoly takes four or five people. And it takes like five hours. And how often do four or five people have four hours to play a game of Monopoly? Unless you're playing Monopoly all by yourself. You play all four players. Monopoly is not a pleasure that's getting out of hand. It's just impractical for pleasures that are sought out in large groups to get out of hand. I they can. It's just not common. But when you've got some pleasure that you seek out on your own, you are the only thing that puts the brakes on it. Any pleasure that you seek out on your own, there's no natural brakes for it. There's, there's common sense brakes to monopoly. Like, whoa. We are five adults. It's one in the morning. What are we doing? Let's finish this game. Ted, you win. That's it. It's over. We've got a life to get back to. Monopoly's not getting out of hand. But, but something, any pleasure that you seek on on your own will go on as long as you can bear it. Monopoly goes on as long as the group can bear it. But any pleasure that you seek out on your own is only subject to your own conscience, your own limitations. And one person has far fewer limitations than a group of four or five does. 
This is what's true for baseball card man. It's like he alone puts the stops on it. And he is very generous and liberal when rewarding himself. And this is the same, same reason why one of the most common uh, proverbs about drinking is don't drink alone. You are not a fit judge of how much drink you need. You need other people bearing witness to it. You need other people that will tell you, all right, it's late, going home, time for bed. So baseball card man, he takes a large box up to the attic. But now he's got to go up to the attic on a regular basis. And nobody in the house ever goes up to the attic. So he starts waking up in the middle of the night, like staying awake until his wife falls asleep and going upstairs. Eventually, of course, his wife is going to hear him. His wife says to him one morning, did you go up to the attic last night? It's like two in the morning. I swore I heard steps creaking. He didn't count on this. So he says, yeah. Yeah, I was looking for something. Some... And then he's got to think fast. First thing that comes to mind, Christmas ornaments. I was looking for some Christmas ornaments. Really? Why? Ah, wanted to get rid of them. You wanted to get rid of Christmas ornaments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard this TED talk about cleaning your house. I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I went up there at like two in the morning because I wanted to know how much space we could make. And I was thinking maybe if we could clear out the attic, we could have like an Airbnb up there, maybe. He's totally talking on the fly. And his wife's like, wow, really? Oh, so industrious. Wow, I kind of like that idea. He's like, really? Yeah. And he persuades himself on the spot that this is not a terrible idea. Goes to work the next day, then realizes maybe my wife is going to go up there while I'm at work. And she's going to start hunting around and seeing how much space we need. She will discover my baseball card. So once again, takes a sick day goes home just to make sure his wife is not going up to the attic. And he tells himself, like, all the way along, like, he tells himself, I'm the only person that knows about this. But this is not really true. Everyone at the grocery, well, not the grocery store, everybody at the baseball card shop knows this guy. And eventually he's going to do, he's going to have to go Walter White and take out a storage unit some locker somewhere to store his cards. And he's going to have to stay away from the house more and more, uh, more and more time away from the house to keep tending to this little secret life, this hobby. And eventually, eventually someone is going to recognize him. He's going to be with his wife out in public. And he's going to see the guy from the baseball card shop. And the guy from the card shop is going to see him and be like, hey, Ray, how's it going? And his wife's going to say, who's that? That's, of course, if the owner of the baseball card shop is a man. Whereas the baseball card shop that I go to, it's a woman. <laughs> and if some woman's at the grocery store... Hi, Ray. Who's that? Hmm. Nobody. I don't know. 
No, that was nobody before she said hello to you. When she said hello to you, she became somebody. Who is that somebody? There's always more people who know about it than you want to admit. You say it's private, but there's really like six or seven people who know about it. And there is no telling what you're going to have to do to manage those people who know about it. And so, LaRocheco, almost all our faults are more pardonable than the methods we resort to to hide them. And in the modern world, the methods we resort to to hide our secret pleasures are extensive. Modernity is all about giving you opportunities to create private lives, multiple private lives. And there is something appalling about discovering that someone you know has this secret life that they've been living under your nose. And you look at whatever sort of pleasure it is that's afforded by their private life. And you know all the lies that they've told in order to secure that private life for themselves, all the lies they were willing to tell to keep it secret. And you think of all the conversations you've had with the person with the secret life, where you were talking and revealing something important about yourself, and you understand later on that they were thinking about something completely different. They were thinking about the life that they were eager to get to, the life they were eager to get back to, the hell they were trying to escape into while you were offering your legitimate, authentic self to them. And that's what breaks our hearts. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.